Exchange Church, how you doing this morning? Good, good. Somebody say God is good? All the time? And all the time? God is good. Amen. It is good to be back here. If you have your Bibles, First Thessalonians chapter 2, um, good to be back at Exchange. I think the last time I was with you guys, uh, we were in the black box. So it's good to be back not only with you, but also here at Quiet Waters. Um, that's awesome. And it's awesome to see the churches growing. So again, just praise the God. That's phenomenal. I remember, um, like Josiah said when I was his boss, it wasn't for a long time, um, that, you know, he was, you know, praying and dreaming with Kimber about this right here. So it's awesome. Every single time I come, I think I mentioned this, it's good to see um, the fruition of what the prayers were and prayers of many people in this room too. So it's exciting. Um, as Josiah said, I'm just filling in today, um, which is the coolest thing. So if like at the end of the study, you're like, man, that was whack. Um, then I'll be going next week and Josiah will be back. So it's all good. Um, just kidding. But it is good to be here. And uh, one more just word from me and also from our family. Um, I was really sick about a month and a half ago, and there's so many people in this congregation who prayed for me. I was in the hospital, and um, it wasn't good. Uh, and so just, again, want to say thank you to this congregation, because, again, a lot of people were just like, hey, we're lifting you up in prayer. You know, God's got you, and uh, that was awesome. So I'm really, really excited to uh, just be, be able to be here um, and thank you in person. And so, um, again, First Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, we're going to start in verse 1, and you guys have already gone through chapter one you dove in last week so we're going to be there and as I read this passage all week um, I just give you right off the bat the only phrase that kept coming to mind was the phrase compelled to walk worthy uh, that's the phrase that continued to come to mind um, and I know you guys have been talking about that idea of what it means to walk worthy it was um, just what God just kept putting on my heart and it resonated with me and I think heading into this chapter um, into two. And then as you guys go off into three, there's so many things that Paul shares from his heart, um, just remarkable things um, from his heart and his emotions about, you know, what ministry is like. And so I'll even say this, if you're in the room and you're, you know, a Bible student, um, if you're in the room and you're someone who's, you know, going to seminary, if you're someone who's saying like, hey, you know what, one day I'm going to go into ministry, I would love to go into ministry, I would say pay close attention to what Paul shares here because it's the heart of someone who is in ministry. And um, you read this passage, and it's also a reminder that uh, if you're a mom or dad in the room, um, then you're in ministry. You know, if you're a school teacher in the room who's a believer, hey, then you're in ministry. If you're, you know, in a business world and you're a believer, you're in ministry. Uh, basically, if you're in this room and your heart is beating, you have a pulse and you have breath, hey. Okay? You're in ministry, and so there's something that we can all pull from this. You know, the Bible says that we're all ministers of the New Testament to others, um, and so there's just great things that are put here in front of us, and we have to remember, you know, we carry um, the message, and so as we read, we see Paul talking about certain things that, hey, these are good things to do, and then other things that are saying, hey, these are not good things to do as we think about the message that we carry um, and just things to examine. So before we get into it and just read his word, if you bow your head and pray with me and then we'll get into it. Um, Lord, I'm thankful to see a group of believers. We know the church is not a building, it's the people. Um, and no matter if we didn't have a building, uh, we could just get on the ground outside um, and open your word. And so we're thankful for that. And so, Lord, I just am um, thankful for all those faithful here here this morning, um, more than anything, just to open your word. And so it's not my words, um, Lord, just as we sang, you make us brave. Anything that we have, you give us. 
And so we're thankful to be used this morning. And just as we dive into um, your word, the perfect law of liberty, um, God has described that you would just help us to, to glean things and not just to be hearers um, and to hear it, uh, but to walk out and be doers. And so I just pray that, um, Lord, again, as we dive in, um, Lord, just, you know, impart your wisdom into us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. First Thessalonians, we're going to start um, in verse one, chapter two, verse one, um, Paul speaking, he says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time do we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor do we see glory from men, either from you or from others when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved ourselves among you who believed. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen. So we see this challenge, and it's a great challenge. It's a challenge to walk worthy. It's a challenge to... Be kingdom people, you know, that idea of like walking worthy, um, the word like axios, it means like so there's a weight there so that the weight that your walk, you know, matches what we're saying, that we would walk worthy of the message that we carry. Um, I love Philippians and, and Philippians 1.27, and I'm going to turn there. It says this, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, if you turn to 3 John, um, the fourth verse, it says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. I think about I'm a father of uh, three boys, so pray for me. Um, and my wife. Uh, but, you know, you think about that. I love hearing stories of like when they're walking well. You know, a teacher will stop me and sometimes the teacher stops me. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. But, um, and I love to hear a great report, like a great story. And I think about, you know, John saying that, um, you know, in his book, there's no greater joy than to see my children are walking in truth. But it's like, and I know that's what's written, but it's really the Holy Spirit speaking through John to say like, this is the heart of God um, for us to see my children walk in truth. And so there's that idea, you know, that's wrapped up in chapter 12, like, hey, all this is so that we would be able to walk worthy, not perfectly, but walk worthy because our treasure is not in this world, but our treasure is in another kingdom, right? And so we get this, and, and uh, even before we go back to, to verse 1, it's like you see Paul, 
and evidently he's being accused, um, and Silas and Timothy with him, because, you know, there's a thought that he's doing, like, some kind of wrong, that he's, like, a religious swindler, or um, an old-school word would be, like, a charlatan, you know, someone who's trying to, like, dupe the people, or trick the people, or swindle the people somehow out of money, and, and he's being accused of this, and so I just want to say, even as we begin, if this seems like um, a defense, Okay, if it seems like he's taking a defensive posture, it is. Okay, it is almost. He is saying that. And just, you know, more context, the Roman world is like filled with all these people, okay, at this time. Um, it's filled with like crackpots and crazies and like, you know, snake oil handlers and people who are like, you know, let me dupe you out of this. Give me your money. I'll tell you like the secret message. Um, and they're always trying to take advantage of the people. And this is what he's being accused of. If you go back to Acts chapter 16 and 17, um, you get the account of this. And this could be the Jews who were upset not receiving the gospel, um, they would have, you know, an axe to grind. It would also be, though, you know, the pagan Gentiles who don't want change, um, they would have an axe to grind too. So in that way, both groups could come together and like get these guys out of here. Um, but, you know, this is what it is. And they were probably the ones who drove Paul out of Thessalonica, you know, and if you go back to Acts 16 and 17, it says like, hey, they were there like three weeks, basically three Sabbaths, okay, they were there three weeks, and then, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, it's like they, they were driven out, and they're, it's almost like, well, what could, what good could have been done, you know, in three weeks, this guy was here for three weeks, and then all of a sudden, you know, he bailed on you, he really doesn't care about you, you know, he just, you know, he was talking this talk, and what good could have come from that, and then he left, and Paul's going to you know, as we get into verse one, Paul's going to, you know, kind of continue to use some phrases that I want you guys to look at. So phrases like, you know, phrases like you remember, or he'll say, as you know, or he'll say you were witnesses because Paul's saying, hey, they're talking this. It's not true. Um, it's slander. But my greatest defense is you because you were there. Hey, okay? so, you know, he's saying, hey, you guys know, it's almost like, I don't know if anyone ever had anything like happen to you and it was totally not true, maybe at work or somewhere else, but there's that like one person or a couple people who can give a defense who were actually there, who know the truth. And so when someone's saying something wrong, you're like, wait, 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 you tell them like, this is what happened, right? You were really there. Paul's saying like, well, you guys were witnesses to this, you know. And so verse one, he says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, so right there, the word in vain, it's the word like kinos means like it wasn't empty. It wasn't pointless. It wasn't uh, futile. If you go back to verses 8 through 10, um, the whole region is talking about the gospel. I I'll read it just going back real quick. Verse 8 says, from you, for from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we need not to say anything. You know, even just there, verse 8, it's like, hey, it was not in vain because we're seeing a change, okay? We're seeing something happening. It wasn't like Paul came. I love, you know, even today, sometimes we overanalyze things, um, you know, for those who might be church planning today or doing things. Like, Paul doesn't have, like, a church planning strategy, like, going into Thessalonica. Like, he's, like, on the run. Okay? And as he gets there, he's on the run. He's like, okay, this is just going to be the gospel, and it's going to be the word and nothing else. It's not going to be anything else. It has to be the gospel that changes minds. Okay? And he's saying, hey, you don't need secondhand information because you were there. So he's saying, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming was not in vain. Okay? But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, again, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. 
And remember, it's the gospel of God. It's not the gospel about God. This is God's good news to the people. But he says, in much conflict. So he's reminding them, hey, you were there. And again, I mean, you think about the sequence of this just for a second. So uh, I'm going to go back to Acts 16 and 17 because I think this is so important. Paul's beaten. He's in prison. He's flayed. You know, he's been, you know, just totally beaten. Um, he goes to Apollonia, then comes back to Thessalonica. Okay. And then the trouble starts there. And all of a sudden, like we said, three weeks later, you know, they're like, get him out of here because he's starting to convert. People are converting. Influential people are starting to convert. And that's a problem. And even after that, it says, hey, well, then we went to Berea, and those people were of more sound mind, okay, and so they started to receive the word, but you have Paul who's been through stonings, um, shipwrecks, bit by a snake, you know, you guys read all the things, it's like, this guy has nothing to lose anymore, um, he says, like, hey, I don't have anything to live for this world, you know, you can have it, I'm just living for the truth of the gospel and Christ crucified, that's Paul, okay? and I love it because he's face to face with anything you could ever imagine, and he says, you know, it doesn't matter. Like nothing, if you want me to stay and minister, wonderful. If you take me out of this world, even better, okay? Because I'm just ministering the gospel. And so, you know, even as we see this, I'd love for us to pull out of this passage. The first thing really um, that I want to just park on for a second is a confidence and determination that's rooted in God's power. You see a confidence and determination that I think is rooted in God's power. I guess, and a question for me and for you today is, um, What's your confidence rooted in? You know, it's easy. I was just uh, speaking to a group of students the other day, um, little ones, like third through fifth grade. And we were talking about, hey, don't let your confidence be in your skills. Don't let your confidence be, you know, in um, your stuff. Don't let your confidence. There's so many things. But even as adults, we need to hear that, right? Because so easy to say, I think even going through a pandemic showed us that, like, Lord, we trust you. And then all stuff's taken away, like, whoa. It's like, right, do we really trust them? Like, like I'm about to find out right now. Um, Paul's confidence is rooted in God's power. And I think we have to ask ourselves that, like in our lives, and our situations, what's our confidence, what's our determination rooted in? Paul says, going back to this, um, the verse two, he says, we were bold, okay? Because think about it, it's a life-changing message that Paul carried. But in 2021, it's a life-changing message that we all carry, amen? It's a life-changing message, and so he was bold. And I think about today, like, what people are bold about today, okay? Because they're bold about everything. People are bold about other religions today. Uh, people are bold about immorality. Okay? People are bold about what just nonsense, okay? A lot of it today. Um, and, and, and they're bold, you know. I'm, I, my sons will tell you, I'm bold about the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, okay? And normally that gets me in trouble, so I should probably stick to the gospel. But... You know, it's like people are bold about all kind of things. People are bold about sexual orientation and gender. You know, I, I saw on, you, can, you, can, you don't even have to, like, try and find it. It will just bombard you. Hey, turn on the TV, get on your computer, get on your phone, and, and it is boldness coming right at you 24-7 content as much as you want to consume. And um, as a PSA said, this is what it said. I couldn't believe it. This was, to me was bold. It said, tear away the fabric of an archaic sexual distinction and enjoy the freedom of life on your terms. I said, wow. You know, uh, that's boldness, okay? But, but it's boldness in what I would say are, and many things today are just lethal philosophies, but all subservient to the most infinite and important truth, okay, that Jesus is Lord. 
that we should be bold in regards to. And so I think about all the boldness and I say, man, shouldn't we be that bold today? Shouldn't we be bold about the simple truth of Jesus and the simple truth of, you know, this is where we were destined for. Uh, we, were, we were headed for hell. The simple truth that um, there's God and he's the propitiation. He's a sacrifice for us. And that because of him, we can have life. Like, shouldn't we as Christians be bold about that in the face of all the other things? And Paul says we were bold, okay? And we don't have to worry because we're not manufacturers. We're just distributors, okay? It's, it's, we, don't, we didn't make up the message. We just carried the message. The message has its own power. And sometimes when we start to lean on some of those other things, okay, God's like, hey, bring it back to the message, okay? Do you have faith enough to just let the message stand because it's my word, it's my truth, it's my message, and watch what I do with it. Um, I love 2 Corinthians. I know you guys were in Corinthians recently, so um, this is perfect. I was talking with Josiah earlier this week. My, one of my favorite verses, probably my all-time favorite verse, is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, and um, you can turn there if you want, but I'll read it. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, that's, that's a boldness. That's a boldness. And so even as we think about that, there's just people in this world that are hurting, people in this world that need to hear from genuine people, okay? Like Paul and Silas and Timothy of this day, people, I would say, will, willing to take a lump or two, okay? To say, hey, you know what, we're bold with the message of Jesus Christ because there's so much fakeness and so much phoniness out there already um, that they need to see genuine, authentic people living it out in truth. Not perfect people, but genuine, authentic people, okay, instead of the phoniness. So what's Paul going to say? Look at verse 3. Um, he's going to kind of talk about, okay, so when we came, this is what we were not in 3 through 6. And then in 7 through 12, he's going to say, hey, this is what we were, okay? This is what we should do. And as we get into verse 3, something else I'd like you to just consider is there's a commitment to the truth of the gospel. There's a commitment to the truth of the gospel. Verse 3 says, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Um, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. So they say it wasn't of error. It wasn't wrong. Okay? It wasn't um, of uncleanness. If you think about it during this time, almost every single city has a temple to Diana. Okay? And at all these temples, there's temple prostitutes. Okay? They didn't need pornography. It was like right there, real in front of them in living color. Okay? And Paul says, hey, like we didn't come this way. Okay? We didn't come in error. We didn't come in uncleanness. That's not how we came to you. You know, we came one in truth, but also, and it says later, devoutly, okay? because this culture was so immoral. He says, we didn't come in an immoral way. Matter of fact, it, I would go further and say this culture wasn't just immoral. It was amoral. Okay? It was like too far gone almost. And Paul says like, hey, we didn't come this way. Um, and it's a good reminder because he says, hey, we came in a way that was, you know, again, just and devout. And even today, I think that's a good reminder because it's almost like, let's not give a world that's always, that can't wait, and it almost seems to be Christians. It doesn't seem to be any other religion that everyone's like looking at to just rip down. 
Um, let's not give a world something that is already looking ammo, okay? Let's not give them, like, more ammo, okay? Let's think about how can we walk worthy, because I always think you never hear about, um, you always hear about the bad things. You always hear a pastor had an affair and he fell. I mean, those are really real unfortunate situations. You always hear about someone who, you know, swindled money from the church or embezzled money from the church, and, like, that's, like, channel 10, 630, you know, right on the front, right? But you never hear about um, Exchange Church went to India on a missions trip, you know, and, you know, hundreds of people got saved. Or you don't hear about, like, Exchange Church had, like, a fall festival, you know, and many people came to church and they fed the community. And, like, those things somehow are, like, you know, it's not even really newspapers anymore. But I say those things are, like, page 16, like, at the back of the newspaper. Like, they don't make it. It always seems to be the other stuff. And so it's a good reminder to let's not give them any more ammo, okay? A pastor that I love used to put it like this. He said, they're going to fire at you anyway. He said, shots will be fired, okay? You guys heard that term, shots fired. We use it kind of funny all the time. But he said, they're going to be shots fired anyway. Let's make sure when they shoot, they're shooting with blanks, you know? Because let's not give them any more. So Paul says, hey, this is how we, we've come. Verse 4, but we have been approved by God or the word entrusted, okay? So not as pleasing to men. I want to read this from Corinthians. It says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards. Everybody say stewards. Stewards. And stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, as stewards, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. See, the message is not ours, it's God's. But even in Corinthians, and you guys have just studied in Corinthians, it says, hey, when I came, I determined just to be Christ, just to say Christ, Christ crucified, nothing else. I determined not to lean on anything else. Like this message is going to sink or swim on the Lord, and I'm totally relying on him. And, you know, it, it reminds me, it says like not many wise men, you know, there's, there's that phrase about like not many wise men being teachers, but like Paul actually is a wise man. Okay? So he could have tried to lean on anything else. He said, I determined to just be Christ and Christ crucified when I came. Because it's the message. It can't stand on anything else. It has to be just the message of Jesus Christ. You know, verse 5, it says, Neither at any time did we use flattering words. You know, again, there's that phrase, as you know. Um, you know, he said, didn't come to Thessalonica and say, Hey, you guys are so smart. Hey, you guys are just like the smartest people in, in Greece. Uh, you guys are just like the handsomest people in Greece. You know, someone come, could come in and they say, Hey, man, the people at Exchange Church look so good. Y'all dress so sharp, Right? You guys, everyone knows, you guys all know when someone's like buttering you up, right? Okay. Um, but he says, I didn't come like that. And the message that he brought was really abrupt. I had a, I had a student one time named Brandon when I was um, social, still teaching social science in the classroom. And um, it didn't take me really long to, to re- figure out that Brandon was um, always up to something. You ever know someone like that? Um, that's like always up to something, okay? Um, don't point at someone else in here. But... He was always, like, scheming. Like, he's always up to something. And so as a teacher, you know, you got to figure out those students real quick, and then you got to watch them. And so I was always on it, and then eventually got to the point where every time I knew, like, Brandon came up, he's like, Mr. Mayo, that sure looks good. And I'd be like, look at him, like, okay, Brandon, like, you know, because I knew it was fake flattery. So by the, by the time, like, we were a couple months in, he would come up and say something, and I would be like, Brandon, what do you want? Because I knew he wanted something or there was something like he was trying to do. And I don't know if you guys are like, if this kid was just like, if you ever seen Saved by the Bell, um, he was just like Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell. Like he was, that was exactly it. So if you're younger in here, you might be like, what's Saved by the Bell? Um, go watch reruns. But he was just like that. And he was always, you know, Zach is like, Mr. Belding, you look so good. And Mr. Belding's like, what do you want, Zach? That, that's exactly like this. 
you know, just, uh, just a flatterer. But Paul says we didn't use flattering speech. He actually said, you know, you're idolaters, okay? You need to repent. You're going to hell, okay? Think about that message. Um, after church, go to someone on Deerfield Beach and start, like, with that and see how it goes. Um, and if they get saved, then you'll be like, it's just a message, Lord, because, man, that's rough. You know, but it's like that's how he came, and he's saying, I didn't try to, like, smooth over the truth. You know, Paul goes in using the H word, okay? He talked about hell. There's some churches today, like, we have a nice congregation, and we have a nice group of people, and we have just a nice flow. Like, please don't use the H word. It's like, <laughs> what, is, what is the message if we don't talk about that? That's what makes the message the good news, what we were destined for, but we were saved from only through Jesus Christ. And so Paul says we didn't come like that because we just wanted to bring the truth of the gospel. The rest of verse 5 says, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is a witness. Yo, they didn't say like, hey, how can we come and get in the pockets of those, you know, in Thessalonica? He says we didn't come that way. Um, I don't know if you know, there's certain pastors and ministers today, they actually, when they, you know, send out letters and when they produce their TV shows and different things, they actually do demographic studies on, hey, if we uh, send this type of video or tell this type of story to this region, like it's bound to produce like more financial gain like this way or this region over here, if we show like a child with cancer or tell a story about, you know, someone, you know, who had cancer is in a wheelchair or something, then like, you know, we'll be able to get this money. And it, 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 Paul tells us like, that's not ministry, okay? That's not ministry. Um, he's not trying to get into the wallet of anyone. He's just saying, like, hey, I'm coming with the truth of the gospel. Verse 6 says, nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as an apostle of Christ. That idea of making demands is the idea of, like, being burdensome, okay, to possibly, you know, being burdensome or asking for something. You know, I think about it, and he's coming in, you know, he says, um, you know, we didn't make demands or we weren't burdensome, um, as apostles of Christ, you know, Paul, has, he's got a pedigree. Okay? You guys know studying Corinthians. He's got a pedigree. So he could have come in and said, like, you know, hey, like, I'm an apostle. Right? Do you know, you know, do, almost like, do you know who I am? Um, I've, I've done miracles. You know, I've seen the Lord. Okay? I know Peter and John. Like, I'm tight with the team. You know, he didn't, he didn't say, like, any of those things. He didn't say, like, hey, I'm an apostle, right? I'm, I'm an apostle, not a B-postle. Not a sea apostle. Hey, like, I'm an apostle. So give me, he didn't come like that. He just came like an ambassador. And going back to 2 Corinthians 5, I love the idea of an ambassador because ambassador just carries the message. Okay? Think about an ambassador in those days. You know, scroll, seal by the king. You can't open it up. Ambassador doesn't open up the message and try to change it. That's death. An ambassador just carries the message. It's the message. He can't change it. Um, we actually want as little as possible from the person who's bringing the message. That's why, hopefully, I mean, we always pray. I know I constantly pray, like, Lord, don't make it about me, because if it's about me, it won't last. Okay? It's, it only has a last if it is about Jesus Christ and just him, and if it's the truth coming through. Um, I remember in summertime, I don't know if, I lived in Pennsylvania, so it's just constantly hot here. I had to get used to that when I moved down here. Um, except for like that three weeks when you can wear like your winter clothes that everyone gets out like fur coats. It's like 53 degrees. You're like, yeah. Um, 
But in summertime, it wasn't always that hot where I'm from, Pennsylvania. And in summertime, it would be like, there would always be a couple weeks where it's like 90-some degrees, and it's like hot. Um, we have the kind of the, the humidity that Florida has. And I remember just times playing, and there's like a hose, and there's like no other available water, like just except for like the hose that has like semi-cold water. But you're so thirsty, like you'll take the water because you're like, yeah, I don't want to go like all far. And so you just, you know, drink the water out of the hose, and it's like has the rubbery hose water taste, and you're just like drinking it like ah and this is great in no other setting would this water taste good but you're just so thirsty that you're like I'll take this but you can even taste the rubbery you know hose and it's almost like we don't want to taste the hose you know from the, we want as little of the you know rubbery hose taste as possible we just want like God's living water um that's it you know that's it we want to move ourselves out of the way and Paul reminds us hey because it's much easier to get patted on the back and complimented than to get like beaten on the back but he reminds us he say be careful you know about wanting you know those things um, because all of a sudden th that that could be the desire instead of the desire for seeing people change instead of the desire you know all those temptations of this world are very real hey eh? we there's been people who set out on to do great things uh, for God and have shifted off the way just because they're not watchful they're not careful and so Paul's like hey we didn't come that way um, we've always been about the gospel. And then in verse 7, he kind of switches gears. So he says, um, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. That phrase, our own lives, is really important because you have become dear to us. So he switches a little bit. Paul's going to talk about you know, um, he's going to compare himself to and those who minister with him to a mom and then compare those him and those who minister with him to a father um, and then kind of wrap it up after that. But I think this is so interesting to hear from him and how delicately he breaks this down, because this is Paul. But remember, the one who used to be Saul. So persecutor of the church, but we see him talking this way and such like breaking it down in a way that's so different that someone again who would have said, wait, weren't you the person when Stephen was getting stoned? You were like, hey, let me hold your coat if you need to, because you can. But now I, I love to see the way he's breaking it down, talking about, hey, this is the way that we came in such a tender way. He says, we were gentle towards you, even as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, um, not, in part, not just imparting the gospel to you, but also our own lives. So Paul's saying like, hey, we came to you on a personal level. We opened up our lives to you in service. And I think about, so just think about for a second, okay, because I know there's mothers in here and there's mothers or ladies that will be mothers, but think about this. Isn't that what a mother does? Okay, is impart her own life, her whole life in service as she has children. She gives up her life. Verse 9 says, um, for you remember, brethren, for our labor and toil, okay? Now, everyone has a nursing mom at home. Trust me, she remembers her labor and toil, okay? Um, that's very, it's very vivid, okay? Um, for, labor, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. And I love the example of... You know, that we weren't a burden to you. We weren't, the, another Bible, another version, the phrase is chargeable. We weren't chargeable to you. And again, go back to the example of a mom. You know, a mom who's nursing doesn't, you know, with her little one, doesn't say, like, oh, you want a nurse now? Well, that'll be $7 an hour. It's not, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not chargeable. We weren't chargeable to you like that. Remember, 
Paul is, is making tents on the side. So when he's talking about laboring like night and day, he's saying like, hey, we were in service to you in the gospel. We were in ministry, but then we didn't charge you anything. Like we went over here with our other vocation so that we could continue to minister and not, you know, be a burden to you just because we wanted, we didn't want you to think, you know, anything was shady, so to speak. You know, that's amazing when I think about that. And, and you think about, you know, anyone in here, like I said, who wants to be in ministry, I think we got to think about this. You know, minister means to serve. And if you want to do this, it's kind of like a nursing mom. Um, there's no hours, okay? There's no hours for a, a nursing mom. There's no hours for someone who's taking care of a very little one. Um, but it's not, again, it's not a burden for her in that sense because, you know, she knows she's on 24-7. Um, but, and that baby can't take care of itself. And sometimes, um, you know, ladies, you know, that baby has no mercy, okay? But... It doesn't matter. It's not a burden for her, but, but it's, a, it's a good parallel. Like, this is a time-intensive thing. Think about raising children is a time-intensive thing. Guess what? Ministry is a time-intensive thing. Laboring long with a group of people, that's a time-intensive thing that takes lots of care. You know, you think about it, a baby makes a mess, okay, frequently. Um, thank goodness all mine are out of that. They can get dressed on their own. I was so happy when that day came. Um, I told my wife, like, listen, just get it to the stage where they can take care of themselves. I got you from here. Um, a baby makes a mess all the time. But think about new Christians, okay? New Christians have lots of zeal and sometimes not a lot of wisdom, okay? And they make messes, okay? A baby needs to be fed. New Christians need to be fed. I mean, if, as you know, we all as Christians need to be fed. But, you know, it talks about having the milk of the word and then moving to the meat of the word. Hey, and that, that's a process. Discipleship is a process. We're never going to be there, but we're always moving along that continuum of like, Lord, we're trying to be like you. We're trying to be like you. That's a process. Hey, a baby needs to learn to walk. But, you know, new Christians in a way need to have someone show them, hey, this is what a walk looks like. Again, not a perfect. This is not perfect. Perfect. Read about Jesus. But this is what a walk looks like, you know, and ministry is is serving. Okay? If you're in ministry, you are serving. And I love this because I think in this passage, we see more than anything, especially in these verses, a servant's heart. Okay? We see a servant's heart. Um, and again, like I said, if you're raising children, you understand what it means to serve. Um, but even, you know, we could even go back. You know, think about if you get, you know, when you got married. Okay? So you get married, and all, uh, immediately you give up all kinds of freedoms, okay? Um, we're just breaking it down for those of you who are dating in the room. We're just breaking it down like it is, hey? You give up all kinds of freedoms. It's a good trade. It's a good trade. Um, but you give up all kinds of freedoms. And the Bible says, okay, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, okay? So love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, it's so simple, Hey, a concept. I always love these marriage conferences, like four-day-long marriage conference. I'm like, you don't need four days, um, it's simple. We don't lack for knowing. We lack for doing. So, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So I think about what that is. Okay. So love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the incarnation and the crucifixion. So he entered our world and he died there. So husbands, this is the process. It's simple. Okay. You enter your wife's world and you die there. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I kid, but if you think about it, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into it. And we can do study after study, but a lot of times it's like, okay, we just need to do what the Bible says. And even when you get married, you think you're giving up lots of freedoms, like after you got married. Wait, wait till the first child comes. 
Okay, wait till the first child comes, and then like death has totally set in. Um, <laughs> and in a sacrificial way, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, so don't think like, oh, man, I'm glad I came today. We're never having kids. Um, but the sacrifice really, really sets in. You, you used to be cool. Like, there's parents out here like, man, I used to be cool. What happened? You had kids. Um, you, if you want to know, why, why am I not cool anymore? Just look at your kids and be like, that's why I'm not cool anymore. Um, but even when you were married before that, you know, at least you, before you were married, you, before that, you had your wife. And, you know, I remember early on just, you know, me and my wife, you know, when you're young and you're working through things, you know, she's like telling me like, you don't understand. And I'm like, you know, I do understand. You don't understand. Um, but don't ever say that to your wife, by the way. Um, and, you know, now we've been married over 18 years and she's like, you don't understand. And I'm like, I know, I don't understand. I'm sorry. <laughs> Help me understand better. But there's, there's that sacrifice that you think of. And then like, again, a, the, another level when kids come along and um, yeah, I'm just, again, it's such a great parallel to ministry. I love that Paul used that because even when you have kids, like there's so much stuff when you have kids, all of a sudden that you have, you have like walkers and bumbos and nooks and jumpers and like all these things like straps and holders, I'm like where we get all this stuff from and when can we get rid of it? Um, you know, and it's just like I saw someone, I was at Legoland with my, my kids, and I saw someone, you know, you had those little hook things that go, like, to all your kids. And this guy had eight kids, and so he had, like, eight straps going out, and his kids are going everywhere, and he's, like, turning around. I, I, I came around the corner. I thought it was, like, one of those, like, shows that they put on. I was like, oh, it's, like, synchronized. I'm like, oh, no, this is a guy with eight kids. Like... It's just like, you know, and you, you, there's days that are exhausted. They, I was telling um, someone before that said, the days are long, um, but the years are short. And, and again, it's a good labor. Like, I'm making a lot of light of it, but it's a good labor. And again, a mom, no mom would say, like, oh, I would trade. You know, she would never trade, you know, her kids. It's, it's a good labor, but it's a great comparison to what ministry is like. Ministry is hard. Hey, it's not easy. You're like walking with Jesus for ourselves, but then also walking with other people in the discipleship process. I love what Josiah talked about and those classes, you know, exchange 101. That's amazing. Um, that's a great thing to be a part of because it's growing in your faith. Hey, and so, you know, he's just saying, hey, think about a mom, how she's on 24-7, like how she cherishes them. But it's not easy. That's what ministry is like. Hey. And we get the transition, not only the list of things that we weren't, go selfish, deceptive, flattering, wanting glory, but also the things that we were. And it's just the idea that there's an intensity, there was an intensity of care for these people, even to the point of laboring night and day for them. Um, verse 10 says, you are witnesses, again, those phrase, like you are my witness, you are witnesses in God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, the same phrase, like you are a witness, you were there. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. So like that idea, you are witnesses, that idea of devoutly. You know, um, they walked with God in such a way that his name and his will and just glorifying him was going to be first priority. Okay? And I would say this, um, you can't say that to someone unless you've purposed to open up your life to them. You, you can't really make that kind of claim unless you say, hey, not only am I just going to come, you know, um, give you some information, but like unless you really open up your life to them. See, as a minister, you could teach and leave. That's what I'm going to do. Too. I'm going to teach um, and I'm going to leave. And I, and I know some of you. So for some of you, I could say a phrase like this, like, as you know, for some of you, but I wouldn't 
you know, come exchange church and say, like, hey, guys, as you know, because some of you would say, well, do you preach? That was great, but I, I don't know. Like, I haven't lived life with you like you have everyone else in this congregation. And it's different giving information. There's a difference between sharing information with someone and opening up your life to someone. And Paul says, hey, we opened up our life to you. Go back to verse 8. It says, not only imparting the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become so dear to us. And I think it's a great reminder that like some people will get saved in an evangelistic setting. Like they'll just hear the gospel. The Lord will work on their hearts. Hey, and they'll get saved. But there's others who need our, who need your example of Jesus Christ day in and day out. That's what's going to save them. Um, in a sense, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to work through you. I know it's cliche, like, you may be the only Jesus some will ever see. I know people say it all the time, but that's, it's really true, okay? There's some people who are saying, hey, I, you know what, I really, what, there's something different about her at work because she's just different. Or, you know, every time I situate, everyone else gets frustrated. He never gets frustrated. Like, how come you don't get frustrated? You know, it's an open door for that. And, you know, it goes back to because we opened our lives to you. Um, a lot more is caught than taught. We all know that. A lot more is caught than taught. When I see my sons, a lot of times they'll do something. The most frustrating behavior, I'll be looking at them like, why do you do that? And I'll look at my wife, Morgan. I'm like, Morgan, why do you do that? And she just looks at me like, because she knows like, he, he learned that from you. Um, a lot more is caught than taught. You know, It's almost like you can say a lot, but what people are really watching are exactly what you do. Hey, what are your actions? And Paul says, hey, we opened up to you in transparency and authenticity. And that's really rare in ministry today. And Paul didn't say, and we were perfect because that's not going to happen. But that's rare today. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of ministers who are afraid to be known. There's a lot of ministers of churches today who are afraid to be known. What would happen if I'm really, really known? And Paul wasn't perfect, but he said, hey, I'm going to let you into the day in and day out because you're going to see my imperfections too. You're going to see I need to ask forgiveness and repent and seek after the Lord. And I think on the flip side, we have, there's congregations who haven't really realized yet that although that pastor, that minister has been called of God to minister to that group of people, at that time there's congregations who haven't realized they're not perfect. And I think we have to remember that too. Those pastors, those ministers, they're not perfect. If you're looking at them, if you're looking at a person, be ready to be disappointed at some point. Okay? It's almost like, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. But if you're looking at me all the time because I think they're going to do it for you, they won't. We need to be looking at Jesus. You know, and, and so it's that idea of being transparent. It's almost like, uh, you know, verse 11 says, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted. It's the idea of like, hey, I, I pulled you aside. I, I pulled you aside to have a conversation. I, I imagine Paul, you know, in Thessalonica, I mean, you know, pulling a group of people over and say, hey, that interaction right there, like, hey, come, let me just talk to you about that. Let me have a conversation with you. He says how we exhorted and comforted, you know, comforted. Think about a father who's encouraging, you know, a son or a daughter to do something. You know, they're encouraging them. Hey, you can do it. Hey, you know, I'm for you. Like, you got this. You can do it. You know, I know you just swung at that last one that was over your head, but you got the next one. You know, you can, you can, you can make it. And it's just like the idea of like constantly encouraging, but also there to pull aside to say like, hey, let me tell you something that might help you. And, and that's what we do, you know, even as believers with other believers. Hey, we do that same thing with young Christians and Paul saying, this is what ministry is really like. Um, and then finally, to wrap it up in verse 12, I think there's a reminder to appreciate the work of God in our own lives. 
is a reminder to appreciate the work of God in our own lives. And the reason I say it like that is because if you're walking worthy, then you appreciate the work of God in your life. If you're, if you're ready to walk worthy, that means you appreciate what God is doing in your life. And you have a, there's a weight there that you say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be perfect, but there's, there's a responsibility that I have to walk worthy of it. And, it's, and he wraps it up with like the purpose of all this. What's the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of all this instruction? The purpose of all this instruction is so that our walk and our talk you know, again, axios, like I talked about, would weigh the same. So that you're walking your talk weighs the same. So you walk worthy of the message that you carry. Again, going back to Philippians 1.21, that, you know, we will walk worthy of the gospel. Um, that's a great challenge, okay, to walk worthy. And, and even as you look at this verse, um, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you, okay? I know in some uh, versions it doesn't, it doesn't use like the present, like it calls you, but there's, it's calls even when it's not there, like that idea is there. It's actively calling, like every day, like the God who's constantly calling you, actively calling you to himself to walk worthy of himself. And it's like, hey, we're a group of people that's, again, Never going to be perfect until we leave this earth and be with him, but um, we're different now. We have a different destiny. We have a different nature. We have a different value system than we used to have. And when we walk like that, it's attractive because other people see it and say, man, what is that? There's, there's different. There's something different. There's something, you know, even sometimes called a peculiar people. There's something peculiar. There's something different about that that I really want to know about. Okay? What makes that attractive? And what makes that attractive is how we walk it out. And um, to read this, you know, and to think about it from a ministry perspective or from, you know, just, again, a missions perspective, like I just said, we're all ministers of the gospel from a parent perspective. It's, it's good inventory. That's what I would say. It's good inventory. And I don't know about you, but it brings me under conviction. But it reminds me that we serve a patient God, amen, and a gracious God, okay? And I'm thankful that um, a God who calls us but also a God who calls us justified, even though there's nothing that I had to do about it. Hey, it was all him. He counts us as justified. So it's not based on our performance. So even that call to walk worthy, okay, is a great responsibility. But at the same time, it's not, it's not based 100%. Our salvation is not based on our performance. It's based on what he did for us. And because of our love, again, bringing it back to the beginning, we're compelled to walk worthy because if we realize Jesus' love. You know, 1 John 4 is um, one of my favorite, favorite, you know, um, chapters of the Bible because it talks about that, like that idea of, of God's love, okay? And, and you think 1 John 4, 7 and 8, it's like, beloved, let us love one another, okay? For those who um, loveth God are born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God because God is love. And later on um, in that passage of 419 talks about, hey, this is love, okay? Not that we loved, but that he first loved. There's nothing we could do, hey, to be lovable. Matter of fact, we're very unlovable a lot of times, but it's that he loved us, and when we realize the depth of that love, and your ministry can show other people the depth of that love, that's attractive to people, and it brings us all to the point where we say, hey, Lord, you know what? We want to walk worthy. We want to walk as close to you as possible, and I love how Paul breaks this down, so as he defends, but he also, you know, encourages us today to say, hey, the church Okay. In 2021, okay, how can we walk worthy of how we were called and constantly are being called? And again, um, I don't know 
about you and where you are today, but I know um, as I read through this passage, there was so much that was just pulled out that says, hey, you know what? Maybe there's something this morning that you heard and you were like, hey, you know what? That's an area I have to work on. Okay? I know about four or five of them for me when I read through this week. So, But you say, that's an area, you know what, I need to work on. That's an area, you know, maybe that's an area I, I know I can encourage someone else in. You know, just like Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing. And I think that's what God calls us to. He says, hey, how can we walk more worthy? But also, how can we encourage others along their walk? And so um, with that, I just want to pray and close. But I hope you were encouraged today. Love being with you and love seeing what God is doing through exchange um, because it's amazing. And I'll just, again, even say this. I love how this room is, is getting more filled and more filled. Soon there's not going to be any room for all the video stuff because it's going to be people all the way to the back of the room um, because of those who walk worthy and because of God's favor. Not anything that we could do, but because of God's favor. So um, I'm just going to pray. And, and even as I pray, I know the worship team is going to come up. But hopefully, again, be encouraged. Be encouraged to walk worthy um, because, again, we just need to do what we need to do and let God do the rest. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you um, this morning for your word again because it's powerful. And um, it's the only thing that really changes anything. Um, Lord, it changes the hearts and minds of people that sometimes in the flesh we think would never be changed. Lord, some of us are those people uh, that we thought we would never change and things would never change in our own life. And then, Lord, you stepped in um, the way you always do. Um, Lord, you are the only true hero um, in our lives. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us um, even as we read about just Paul's message, Lord, that there would be things that we could internalize for ourselves and things that we could walk away with and say, hey, Lord, help us. Um, Lord, we want to we try to, uh, to walk worthy of you, and knowing that we won't be perfect. But, Lord, in your strength and your power, we want to be a witness with just the gospel, not anything extra, hey, it's just the gospel plus zero. That's the only thing that makes a difference. And so, um, Lord, help us to do that as Christians who want to follow hard after you. And, Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.